today on Ag News Daily. I think you're going to see half the population take off and, and travel as much as they can. And the other 50% of the population sit back and see if, if, if it's safe to do so. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, co-host of the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined by diligent co-host Delaney Howell. Delaney, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Mike. I was thankful I had a conference that was supposed to be in person, of course, got canceled, but then they ended up switching it to become an online virtual webinar. So I got to present to a group of land real estate folks this morning. Fantastic. From where? From all over the country. Excellent. What was the event? Give it a shout out. It was the National Realtors Land Institute, their annual conference turned virtual this year. But I have to say one thing I find super interesting, and I talked about it in my webinar today and was reaffirmed by, I did some polling questions since we weren't able to talk to each other in person, you know, asking these folks for their input. And one thing I find super fascinating, I've done quite a bit of research in as of the last couple of weeks, has just been the amount of foreign investment purchases when it comes to land and real estate here in the United States, as well as other countries buying up land, so to speak. And a lot of the folks that I talked to today tweeted in or pulled in that uh, they also have had, it was about, it was a pretty good 50-50 mix of folks who said that they have had foreign investors contact them about purchasing ground here in the United States and about 50% said they hadn't yet. But a lot of them expected to here over the next couple of years. Interesting. It's fascinating. The way money flows around the world can impact agricultural production right here at home. It is. It's very interesting. And, you know, another question they asked was, well, what's being done on the home front to incentivize people to buy up more ground so we don't see foreign investors purchasing here in the United States? And, you know, besides programs like the Beginning Farmers Loan, I'm not really sure that the government is doing anything to encourage people to continue to buy up ground so that other foreign investors don't. Well, and, you know, I mean, you could also point to dirt cheap interest rates as right. a government intervention. You know, that's certainly been a that's factor. True. I was speaking with a couple ag lender friends of mine, and though they're not seeing a whole lot of farmland purchases happening right now, if people have cash, they're, they're really, I think, countrywide hunkering down and, and I don't want to say hoarding cash, mm -hmm. but sitting on the cash they have on hand rather than going ahead and making investments, wanting this thing to shake out. But the, the general consensus is these dirt cheap interest rates should be incentivizing folks to either be willing to make purchases that they might not have made with rates at 5, 6, 8, 10, certainly not 22%, but it also lets them bid up a little bit more. So, you know, it's a uh, what the government giveth, the government taketh away, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Just because interest rates are dirt cheap doesn't mean you're going to be saving that money. It might mean you might be plowing that money back into the purchase price of the property you're looking at. Well, you know, it's interesting, too. I had an interesting discussion with my dad over the weekend. We were talking about today's current economic situation compared to the 80s. And, you know, a lot of people have said, well, the interest rates aren't like what they were back in the 80s. However, his counterpoint that I hadn't considered before was... Interest rates might be lower, but on average, people are buying or buying, people are borrowing a lot more capital compared to what they were in the 80s. Exactly. That was one of the conversation or the themes that kept coming up in the few conversations I've had with my lender friends is 
we don't need rates to go to 22 or 18 or 15 or even 10% to be catastrophic for a lot of producers. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got 5% margins. So if rates go to 6, 8%, all of a sudden that cash squeeze could look very similar to the 1980s. So it's something we're definitely going to have to keep an eye on. Although, given all of the stimulus that's going on now with COVID-19, it doesn't sound like rates are going to take a jump anytime soon, Delaney Howell. No, it certainly doesn't. We saw, of course, President Trump signed that stimulus package into effect on Friday afternoon, and there were about $23 billion directed in aid for agriculture alone. Yes, and so I have the breakdown of that aid for agriculture. Let me pull that up here very quickly. I need to make a correction. I had mentioned when this was being discussed in Congress that it looked like there was going to be $9.5 billion set aside for livestock producers. That was an overstatement. It turns out there is $9.5 billion allotted to the Office of the Secretary of the Department of Agriculture. So effectively, this is uh, – I don't want to call it a slush fund, but it's funds that Sonny Purdue and the Office of the USDA Secretary can direct as needed, um, not just aimed specifically at livestock producers. This money could be doled out to various different uh, sources. Basically, this money could all be used for specialty crops, local food systems and farmers markets, restaurants and schools who want to buy locally, and livestock producers, both cattle producers, beef producers, and dairy farmers. So that's what that $9.5 billion can be used for. I imagine, given the frustration we're seeing on the beef cattle side of the ledger, and as we will talk about later on this week, the dairy side of the animal production ledger, we will see the bulk of those funds go towards cattle producers some way, somehow. Um, as Delaney, as you had mentioned earlier on, there is another $14 billion heading into the Commodity Credit Corporation. This will be used, I think we all kind of assume, it's going to be used in a third round of market facilitation payments, in addition to refunding the PLC uh, program and the Dairy Margin Coverage Program. And we've also got 18% of that total amount was headed, just about $8.8 billion was set aside for child nutrition programs, which have taken on increased urgency in this era where where young people, particularly hungry young people, aren't getting their meals at school. So a lot of school districts and churches and nonprofits are working together to figure out how they can help feed these uh, these hungry folks. And then that was separate from the $15 billion that is going to be poured into SNAP to support the uh, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. So that's how all those dollars are broken out now that we've got the bill passed and the language out there in the public. That's what we're looking at. And don't forget about our Trump bucks, as I'm calling them. For uh, everybody who made, you know, whatever, less than $75,000 will get that directly right. to, your in, to your account if you're set up for direct deposit. But that is separate from the dollar set aside for agriculture, obviously. Right, right. Yep. Yep. Obviously. So your your twelve hundred dollar government spiff, if you made less than seventy five grand in twenty eighteen and or twenty nineteen, uh, yeah, will be showing up in your bank account if your bank account's on file. Otherwise, it sounds like they're gonna mail you a check. Yep, I think that's absolutely correct, Mike. But we've got a lot of great interviews and topics coming up this week. Largely, the news is focused on COVID nineteen, and so are we. But one of those topics we'll be discussing later on this week or next will be the ethanol industry and the impact that they've really seen. And on Friday, they kind of took, unfortunately, another blow as the EPA unveiled some measures which will help oil refineries cope with this fallout from the coronavirus outbreak. 
including amongst other things, they're going to begin waiving anti-smog requirements for gasoline. They're also going to be extending deadlines for small facilities, as well as essentially waiving some of the biofuel blending requirements under the renewable fuel standard. Yeah. And so the... (laughs) The agency said... This administration, Delaney Howell, I'm going to say it again, mm-hmm. every chance it has gotten, it has thrown ethanol under the bus. And we will get into detail with this with folks from the biofuels industry on Wednesday. But I tell you what, all of those things you just announced are detrimental to ethanol. They are. And they also said that they're going to extend the March 31st compliance date to give small oil refineries more flexibility to meet their RFS requirements and the other thing is it, it sounds like they won't really be revisiting or rescinding any previously granted refiner exemption for years prior and said that investigating some of those claims or actions are really low priority for the agency right now. Interesting. All right. Well, I'm sure our friends from uh Renewable fuels groups will have something to say about all of this. I will get off my high horse until we hear from the experts. How's that sound, Delaney? That sounds good, Mike. All right. Well, we've got some other piece of news. This was uh, something, that Delaney, you brought up last week. Now it seems to be gaining some traction. This is Russia's uh, proposal to limit grain exports. It was discussed last week. Delaney, you mentioned it. I think it was on last Thursday or Friday's podcast that the uh, Russian grain ministry might be looking to limit exports. Now that is not yet accomplished, but it's getting much closer. So the agriculture ministry last week officially proposed limiting Russian grain exports to 7 million tons, and the economy ministry, um, the economic ministry in Russia, has come out and backed that proposal. So now there are basically two of the main deciding factors are in favor of this. Initially, the 7 million ton limit on wheat exports shouldn't have much of a huge impact on the wheat markets. Russia, this would be for a three-month period, basically for the second quarter of 2020, they would limit exports to a quota of 7 million metric tons. Well, to put that into perspective, for the first quarter of 2020, Russia exported 7.1 million metric tons. So basically what they're looking to do is set their export quota at no more than they exported this first quarter. That's kind of where the market had them figured out anyway. We did not see much of a huge reaction today in the wheat markets domestically on this news. But there is some thought that if Russia takes this first step, it might just be a first step. And they can, they could we get that squared away, they could always ratchet down those export quota limits as the year goes on or even into this next quarter, the second quarter that they're aiming at right now. So if this thing does move forward, we'll probably hear about it by the end of this week, and uh, we'll see what that does to the markets, Delaney. Hmm. All right. Well, that will be something to continue to watch. Mike, this is another thing that has gotten pushed to the back burner. I would consider it maybe another blow to agriculture, but Looking at USMCA, you know, we really haven't heard a lot about that since the COVID-19 pandemic has blown up across the news wires. Mm -hmm. But June 1st was the original deadline that we were looking at to potentially get this implemented and put in place. However, if the USMCA or if US, Canada and Mexico don't exchange letters before Wednesday certifying that they've all met their obligations needed to enter into the deal into full force which would include things like developing uniform standards for automotive rules of origin and a couple other things, it sounds like the USMCA start date could be pushed back until at least July 1st. 
which I hadn't mm. realized uh, was another step that they needed to take. But it doesn't sound like, you know, I guess as probably expected, they're focusing a lot of time and energy on this. They're not doing that in this case. And so it th things like this apparently are falling through the cracks there. You know, I would imagine, given the amount of people that work in the federal government in Washington, D.C., that there was one guy or lady whose job is, let's get this letter to Mexico City and to Ottawa. Or Ottawa, right? Isn't that the Canadian capital? Canadians, uh... I apologize. I'm drawing a blank on your capital. I'm 90% sure it's Ottawa. I think that's right. Anyhow, Canadians, I apologize. You guys need to be more vocal about uh, where your capital is so I can keep it in mind. But you figure there'd be a person whose job it was to take an important letter and get it to such a place. But if that doesn't happen, Lenny, you say it, it delays the start date a month? At least a month. That's kind of best scenario. Best yeah. Gotcha. Well, while we're talking USMCA, while we're talking relations between the United States and Mexico in particular, last week I talked about the German farmer, the growers of white asparagus who were unable to get their laborers from Eastern Europe due to the COVID-19 border closures. Well, guess what, folks? That issue has come home to roost, not for white asparagus producers, but for watermelon growers. It's watermelon season in Florida, according to Reuters. Um, but even though Florida is the top watermelon producing state in the country, most of those workers do come from overseas and not overseas necessarily, but across the border. They come from Mexico. And we are seeing issues with H1, excuse me, H2A temporary ag worker visas. Um, basically, as Reuters has profiled, they were down in Monterey, Mexico, and they said there were more than 100 workers waiting in a park with their suitcases packed to get across the border with their borders. However, since a lot of the visa service workers, both domestically and in Mexico, are working from home or they're working remotely, we've got all of these evolving regulations and the increased border controls, nobody quite knows when or if they're going to get these visas issued. So there is a lot of frustration coming out of Florida right now and coming out of Mexico with these people who cannot get through the the H-2A visa program. In fact, they spoke with a Florida-based company, uh, basically a, a recruiting company that, that works and hires harvesters to pick watermelons. This is Javier Lara. Javier Lara said, quote, we got screwed. The watermelons will rot in the fields, end quote. And they just don't have any security that they're going to get their borders passed. The growers don't have any security. They're going to get labor. It is a very frustrating situation for everyone involved. It certainly is. And I mean, I think the administration is trying to speed up this H-2A visa process. But, you know, when there are so many issues going on right now, I don't know how quickly they can get things resolved. You're right. And I'm being a little too harsh. The State Department officials said earlier today that they have waived the in-person interview requirements for many H-2A visas in an attempt to try and kind of speed this thing up. But still, basically, since so many people just are working from home, working remotely, aren't working at all, they're sick, you know, yada, yada, yada. They just don't have the manpower, the horsepower to get these things across the finish line. So that is a tough, tough situation. If you want a marketing tip, go long watermelon. Stock up now if you see them in your grocery store. There you go. And toilet paper. Don't forget about your toilet paper. No, quit hoarding toilet paper, people. Just quit it. Just stop. I'm tired of this. This virus does not cause any inordinate bowel malfunctions. Stop hoarding toilet paper. I buy TP as needed, and I tell you what – I am needing it, and I'm going to have to go to the store later. Quit hoarding it. <laughs> the more you know, this public service announcement brought to yeah. you by an angry Mike Pearson who's going to have to use toilet paper or going to have to use paper towels. <laughs> Good luck with that. Right? At least yeah. I'm not on a septic system anymore. Well, there you go. <laughs>
Well, Mike, what other news you got for us, Lenny? I think that is all I had on the docket for today, Mike. Should we take a look at the commodity markets? Let's do it, folks. And we're going to have a fun time in our commodity market discussion today. We'll be talking with our good friend, Carl Sutzer, who I don't believe has been on the podcast before, Delaney, has he? I don't believe he has. We've heard from his better half, Angie Setzer, quite a bit. but uh, Well, his think... other half. Oh, his other half. Maybe I mixed that up. We got to be, you know, I'm... you can't, can't be sexist <laughs> anymore, Delaney Howe, no? which means you people can't get the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> okay, that's fair. But no, folks, do stay tuned. We'll be on with Carl Setzer here in just a minute to break down what is happening in the markets. But in the meantime, our markets today are brought to us by our good friends at agmarket.net. If you've got questions about hedging, managing your market risk, check them out. That's their website, agmarket.net. Talented team of ag hedgers ready to work for you. We've got mixed trade in the markets today. Corn was down, beans were mixed, wheat was mixed. Taking a look at the corn market to start off today, the May contract was down four cents at three forty two even. December new crop down four and a quarter. Closed the day at three sixty even. Over in soybeans, the May contract was up a penny, closed the day at eight eighty two and a half. November down two cents, wrapping up trade at eight seventy four and three quarters. Over in Chicago wheat, that May contract dropped two cents at five sixty nine and a quarter, while the December new crop was up three and a half cents to finish at five 566 and three quarters. Jumping over to the world of livestock weakness in the cattle complex today. April live cattle down $1.75 at 99.20. The June contract down 35 cents to close at 89.0750. Looking at feeder cattle, the May contract down two and a half cents at 120.90. The August down 17 and a half cents, closing the day at 126.92 half. Hogs really took it on the chin today. Hogs, remember, on Friday were limit down, so we were trading expanded limits today, and the front months utilized it. The April contract down the expanded trading limit of $4.50 to close at 53.95. The May also expanded limit down, closed the day at 53.12 and a half. And in dairy, oof, I almost hate to read these numbers out loud. The March contract coming to an end here shortly, down a penny at 16.22. The April down 46 cents on the day, closed at 14.86, and the May down a whopping 72 cents on the day to close at 13.15. We'll dive into those more detail later on this week. In the meantime, let's kick it over to our friend, Mr. Carl Setzer. Well, folks, as I mentioned, we've got a new voice on the podcast today. We're talking to Mr. Carl Setzer. He is the Commodity Risk Analyst at AgriVisor. I'm sure a lot of you who read your various Farm Bureau publications have seen Carl, have read his insights, and today he is going to bring those insights to us here on the podcast. Mr. Carl Setzer, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us. Hey, thanks for having me. We're excited. You know, we've talked to Angie Setzer, the goddess of grain, quite a few times, but now we want to get the other side of the story. We want to talk to Mr. Carl. And Carl, we got to kick this thing off initially. You work a lot in the Eastern Corn Belt, and uh, Eastern Corn Belt especially has been hit hard by these ethanol disruptions. Bring us up to speed. What are you hearing on the ground from the ethanol uh, plants that you work with and talk to in your day-to-day life? You know, I look look at both, both East and West, but you know, the problem we're having right now is a lot of these plants, I mean, obviously margins deep in the red and there's just, you know, where do you come out of it? And this isn't necessarily, you know, everybody's blaming this on crude oil that, you know, we, we had, it's a twofold thing. We had Russia and Saudi Arabia get, get into a dispute and, and, and who can outproduce each other and who can drive each other, you know, basically bankrupt. And what they've done is they've really bankrupt the entire industry when you stop and look at it. 
And the bad part is, is that came at the same time that we had the coronavirus uh, outbreak and the scare and energy demand on a whole has plummeted. And, you know, we're looking at crude oil losses. I mean, $20 for a barrel of crude below $20, the lowest values we've seen in over 18 years. And what that is, is that that's not just pressuring the United States, but I mean, the Brazilian ethanol producers aren't seeing it. And usually in ethanol, you have something, you have one thing that you can go to. And unfortunately, you know, we had the export market get hit, so we can't export our ethanol. DDGs, we're not putting them out. So really, ethanol is just showing red margins all around. A lot of the plants that we're looking at actually could come out fiscally better in areas of high feed demand if they would take their corn and resell it. Now, I'm not saying that they should do that, but I mean, it's one thing that's keeping some of them afloat. Some have forward contracts on with ethanol, but a lot of plants slowing their operations down and and just simply walking away and shuttering them. And now you start hearing, you know, that some of these might be offline indefinitely. And that is a scary sign, you know, with the ethanol demand base we have on our corn. Uh, Already talking 400 million bushels could get put back into the pipeline uh, where we're not going to use it for for ethanol grind. Um, You know, it's really tough to paint a, a promising picture in that industry right now, I'm afraid. Carl, I want to ask a follow-up question to that too, because I'm hoping, I mean, I'm personally going through a little bit of cabin fever and I'm hoping that at some point in the near future here, as it starts to warm up, we're going to see the government lift stay-at-home orders. And I just feel like there's going to be this huge influx of people that at least temporarily or short-term get out there and drive or go do something. How quickly do you think it's going to be for both ethanol and oil prices to recover from this lack of driving so to speak you know i I, i'm right there with you delaney and i do think that as soon as everything is lifted i I think you're going to see half the population take off and and travel as much as they can and the other 50 percent of the population sit back and see if, if 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 it's safe to do so um you know, I think it's going to be a slow process to get back due to the fact we've got so much crude oil in the supply line right now. Um, logistically, I mean, we got tankers sitting full that are anchored offshore that we can't even unload. Uh, it, it's going to take a while, you know, because you, you can shut it off faster and you can bring it back. And that's going to be, you know, the, the driving is, is a good part of the, of the demand we see, but we have to see the airlines pick back up. We have to see the cruise industry pick back up. We have to see rail, you know, rail movement pick back up, uh, Amtrak, and, and plus just general cargo. It, it's going to take a bit. Um, you know, my concern is, is this, if this lasts another month, all of a sudden we're starting to look at Memorial Day which is typically one of our bigger gas demand, uh, you know, time periods of the calendar. I would say that it'll probably take 45 to 60 days to start to see this pipeline worked out, um, especially when you hear reports of, you know, out in the fracking fields that, you know, they're going to hit all-time highs for their output. And they're really kind of shooting themselves in the foot when they do that. 
because I mean it couldn't come at a worse time. And then the more they produce, the longer it takes to get through the glut that we already have. Absolutely, and that's just the frustration the crude oil producers are seeing. When we look at corn growers, Carl, we've seen basis continue to collapse across the corn belt, and this week, starting off, no exception, was talking to a friend of mine in the cash business, was saying that of all the places they've seen, basis reported on 33% saw basis stay the same. The rest lowered basis. They made it wider. Carl, what are growers to do here? If you're growing corn, if you've got corn in the bin, you need a little cash flow, how do you handle it right now? You know, I'm a firm believer right now, Mike, that there's, you know, I look at it this way. You really might have to look at a two-part sale. I mean, if you can get uh, into, you know, and we know ethanol is, is struggling right now, but the feed demand is there. If you can get into a place with feed demand, um, you know, you might have to make a two-part sale. You might have to look at, you know, locking in your basis. Um, you know, going that route, uh, especially at, at a feeder or an entity that might, uh, you know, do a cash advance on a basis sale. There's quite a few guys out there that do that. Or, you know, you simply, you might want to bite the bullet and look at it this way. And I'm going to throw this out, especially with the time frame we're at right now, Mike. The weather's starting to warm up a little bit. This crop has been sketchy all year long on trying to store it. You know, it might be, even though it's not the perfect spot you want to, liquidate, just liquidate stuff and reown it with an option. Uh, you know, you can hold paper for a long time and it's not going to go out of condition on you. Absolutely. And as you look at weather, I mean, I think a lot of producers are watching it. It's hard to think that we're almost to April 1st here, and it's about time to get some planters rolling into the field. How do you think in your discussions with growers, are people just going to be hammered down, getting in the seed as quickly as possible because of last year's disaster? I do think so. As soon as guys can get in the fields this year, doing it, they are going to go. They're not going to sit back and wait. Um you know, and then that's not what probably most agronomists want to hear, but guys are not going to wait until, you know, perfect conditions. They're going to get out there as soon as they can. Now, I don't think you're going to see guys out there on April 15th mudding and corn by any means, but they're not going to sit back and wait. If it's good to go, they're going to get that crop in as soon as they can. Unfortunately, I sit here out where we're at in the, in the Michigan area, and I mean, we're wet. I think we're just as wet as we were last year. We've got water standing. Um, we had started to go about three weeks ago putting fertilizer on, but then we pick up some rains and two inches of rain over the weekend, and all of a sudden all the wet holes are just, you know, they're flooded again because our, our soil is so saturated. So I think that as soon, like I said, as soon as guys can go, they're going to go. I don't think they're going to wait. I don't think they're going to look at the calendar. They're going to try to get everything in as much as they can. I do think that this is going to spill back into our acreage projections, which is a whole other story. Given, you know, the conditions we have, it sure doesn't look like we're going to see, you know, everything willing to give us the opportunity to get these, you know, 94, 95 million corn acres planted. It just doesn't seem like that right now. But, you know, time will tell on that one as well. 
Time will tell. Remind me, we do have the perspective plantings report coming out tomorrow, Carl. 94-ish million on corn, 84-ish million on soybeans, close to 85 million is the trade expectations. Do you have anything different in mind when you look ahead? I yeah, I like I said, Mike, I'm struggling with that corn number. Um, you know, a lot of the areas that the trade is hoping for to see them are the fringe areas. You know, the Dakotas out here in Michigan. You get around some of these areas that are not seeing ideal planting conditions. I've got a firm belief that corn, we come in at least two million less than that by the time we get to the June revisions as far as planted acres go. To see us get down to, you know, 91, you know, I think that's a stretch, but 91 and a half to 92, I could see us falling right in there. And soybeans also seem a little on the high side to me, but I mean, soybeans, it's going to depend a lot on corn, right? So, you know, those numbers are are a bit of a crapshoot. The the one I'm really having a hard time with, though, is the wheat number. And, you know, when we look at all wheat acres being down this year, a lot of the guys I'm talking to that plant winter wheat as a crop, as, as a cover crop, are starting to rethink that. And all of a sudden, you look at a market and you look at what you can sell wheat for right now versus what you can sell corn for. And you can pick up a paycheck in July versus having to wait till November or December. And for guys who only got a partial of a crop a year ago, they might want to leave that as wheat. And I think we might be surprised on our wheat acres as we move forward that maybe a few more of them acres stay to wheat instead of going back into one of the row crops, Mike. Carl, I want to end things here by turning our attention to the livestock markets because they have been just having a horrible time trying to trade this coronavirus news. You know, usually this is the time of year where people are starting to get excited about the summer months, getting ready to fire up those grills. Seasonally, we tend to, you know, do better during this time of the year in the meat markets. But with all this coronavirus uncertainty, do you think that we're going to be able to follow along in those normal seasonal patterns and see some strength throughout the summer summer months? Yeah, I really do, Delaney. I, I think we see things pick back up because, let's face it, people are, is like you said, you know, with the travel, as soon as this is over, people are going to want to get outside. They're going to want to grill. They're going to want to, you know, hang out together. Um, I think we see a surge in, in the consumer side as soon as as soon as this is lifted. And really, you look at the disconnect between, uh, especially on cattle, between the futures and the cash. That cash is up there. And, and when we got cash anywhere from twenty to twenty-two dollars over the futures, our demand is there, and our and our placements on cattle are down. Uh, you know, last on feed report, we were only at ninety-two cents or ninety-two percent. So obviously we're not putting these, you know, cattle back in the lots right now. I think cattle do have a lot more of a, a future, uh, you know, a more promising future. Let's put it that way than for hogs right now. And hogs, you know, I, we're just overproducing. I mean, we look at the numbers and, you know, our total hog production right now, um, through March 28th was up, you know, like five and a half percent from a year ago. And our pork slaughter is up about five percent. And we're still seeing record exports. It's just we're producing pork faster than we can get rid of it. And, you know, and you look at the price in the stores and it's just not swaying the consumer away from the beef quite yet. 
all hopes on on pork really turning around are going to hinge on China. And if China comes in and buys a lot of pork from us, you know, in the phase one agreement, we thought they would, um, you know, and every day we go by the, the hopes for that dwindle a little bit. I do think there's demand there on pork. Don't get me wrong, but we need to slow down a little bit on our production. Uh, a little bit in that hog and pig report came out and told us that, you know, there is an indication that we could see a little bit of a slowdown due to the fact our breeding numbers stayed the same and didn't go up, but it's not going to be an overnight correction to that any anytime soon. So yeah, once, once weather straightens out, we get to the summer months um, and even people at home are going to want to get outside of their houses and grill and do some other stuff. So I think that'll perk us up a little bit, Delaney. We'll all be waiting for that perk up, Carl Setzer. Before we let you go, tell our listeners, how can they get more of your thoughts, Carl? Where can they find you on social media or on the web? Tell you what, you can uh, uh, email me if you want, and that's ksetzer at agrivisor.com. We're on Twitter at agrivisor, and we do have a Facebook page, um, but also, you know, just uh, like I said, shoot me an email, or you can give me a call. Uh, my office number is 309-557-3147, and I can get you hooked up on our uh, commentary that we send out in print twice a day from there, Mike. Fantastic. Well, Carl, thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. It's great to hear your perspective on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, Again, a big thank you there to Carl Setzer. You can find him on Twitter at K Setzer Grains. Mike, it would be certainly interesting to have him and Angie on together sometime for a Market Monday discussion. We're going to have to. I think that's going to have to happen, Delaney. I think it will be too. We'll see if uh, Carl will be able to get in and get in a word because Angie definitely can dominate a conversation if she wants to. Not a lot of dead air when you're talking to Angie Setzer. That's why we love her in the media. But, folks, if you want to get caught up on past episodes of the Ag News Daily podcast, hit up our website. Go to agnewsdaily.com or, of course, visit us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Ag News Daily, and we shall appear. With that, Delaney House, we let the listeners go. Let's let them go.